0: Welcome to the Alpha Ministries podcast. Alpha Ministries is a recovery church. Our mission is to teach individuals and institutions to recognize and apply the gospel of grace, building stronger families and communities. Join us today as Pastor John Glenn teaches on biblical self-awareness. You will learn what God has done for us that we could not do for ourselves and what it means to be fully adopted into the family of God. We hope you are encouraged and built up in the faith. If you have any questions or comments, be sure to email us and look for some information about us in the show notes. Here's John.
1: Who are you? A very simple but but a very profound question, one that we're going to try to answer on this Alpha Series. We want to welcome Each of you in the studio audience, and we want to welcome you particularly on the video audience because this entire series is meant to teach you and to train you in a biblical answer of who are you. Have you ever wondered why it is that people do such strange things or they say such weird things from time to time? The reason, ultimately, as we'll see throughout our series, comes back to the fact that they don't know a biblical answer to this question who are you? They have not established in their own hearts and minds an identity in Christ that satisfies their deepest longings for personal needs to be met? And we're going to try to examine that very question. As we go through this series, we're going to be looking at not only the issue of who you are from a secular point of view, meaning that we're going to be talking about what psychologists have to say about who we are, But we're also going to be addressing this question from a Biblical point of view. We want want to know what God says about who we are. And it's from that point of view this morning that I want us to start with our series by looking at the question of how you see, first of all, yourself. There was a fellow by the name of Carl Rogers. He was a psychologist that did a lot of work in personality theory, and he actually came up with a theory concerning the fact that we have three different selves, or three different ways we identify ourselves. Carl Rogers spoke, first of all, of how we see ourselves. The way we see ourselves is determined primarily by our definition of ourselves according to our occupation, that is, whether we're a plumber or a carpenter, a teacher— Whatever occupation we spend eight hours a day making a living at, we'll identify ourselves in that fashion or in terms of relationships. I might ask you, who are you at a family reunion, for instance? And at a family reunion, in that context, you would not identify yourself necessarily as according to your occupation, but you would identify yourself according to your relationship with other people. You might say, I'm so-and-so's son or I'm so-and-so's husband. Now, in order for us to understand how this identity comes about we're going to take over the next several sessions enough time to explain how this question gets answered in our own minds first and this is what Carl Rogers refers to as our self image but there's more than just our self image involved in this question of who are you you see how I see myself is one thing but how you see me is something completely different. I could come in here today and, and be on this videotape and in front of a studio audience and think that everything's fine, that I'm looking real good, and I forgot to zip up my pants. Now I would be in trouble, because how you see me would be different from how I see me. And in a lot of respects, this very image problem we have is illustrated to us throughout the day in our interactions with people. For instance, if you've ever listened to yourself on a, on a video or a, an audio tape, if you ever heard your own voice on a cassette recorder played back to you again, when you listen to yourself, you may even ask the question, who is that person talking? I remember the first time I heard myself on tape, I, I couldn't imagine that I sounded that way because how I thought I, I sounded was completely different from how everybody else was hearing me. And other people would assure me and say, "Yeah, yeah, that's you." I didn't. I didn't think it was me. I, I, it shouldn't have been me, as far as I was concerned. But said, "Yeah, that's you." So other people see us differently than how we see ourselves. But there's a third component to what Rogers said goes together to make up who we are. That component is our real self. We not only have the self that we see ourselves as, or the self that other people see us as but we also have the self that we really are. Now you all realize, I'm sure, that how you see yourself may be different from how other people see you. And you realize that how you really are may be different from how you see yourself or, in fact, how other people see you. Rogers gives, Rogers gives us a little diagram that I want to share with you here on the board concerning how we see ourselves. I'm going to identify our first that is our self-image, by just the term self with regards to this first circle. How we see ourselves is incorporated in this one little diagram. However, interacting with that can be another circle that illustrates how others see us. How others see us can overlap with really how we see ourselves, However, you'll notice that there's quite a discrepancy between how we see ourselves and how others see us, as represented in the areas that the circles do not overlap. But the problem gets a little more complex even than this, because really we're not only dealing with how we see ourselves or how others see us, but as I just shared, we're dealing also with how we really are. I'm going to represent that with another circle and just label that as our real self. How we really are is what we're going to be concerned with in the Alpha series. Because our whole program is going to be devoted to explaining in detail who God has made us to be, who we really are, so that we can first of all begin to believe that ourselves and line up our own self-image with God's picture of who we are. And then secondly, as we do that in our relationships, other people will see us the way God sees us, the way we see ourselves. In other words, what we're trying to do is to get ourselves together here. We're trying to get all of these selves to line up. Now in his personality theory, Rogers says that the reason we have tension inside, the reason we have conflict, the reason we have problems is because how we see ourselves is different from how others see us and also is different from how we really are. And that creates such a tension inside of us that it generates emotions that move us and direct us in everything we say or do. So our whole series, and the Alpha series, is going to be devoted to explaining how we really are. Now the reason I use the scriptures, and let me just comment on this very quickly, the reason I use the Bible is because I believe the Bible is the only infallible book there is. And so if we're going to get the absolute truth about who we are, we need not go ask our neighbors, even though they can be painfully honest at times. We need not ask our family members, even though they can also be painfully honest, they can also be biased. They can not want to tell us the truth. Haven't you ever experienced that kind of thing where somebody says, I don't want you to know, or I didn't, I didn't tell you this because I thought it might hurt your feelings in some way? Well, the Bible, you see, is not that concerned about our feelings per se, it's concerned about us knowing who we are. In fact, the whole theme of the scriptures from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation, is given to us for one purpose, and that's to reveal the mystery of the gospel, the good news of what God has done to make us who we are. And so we're going to use the scriptures to define ourselves. We're not going to use uh, we'll bring in other things from time to time in our series, but we're, not, we're going to focus our attention on what the Bible says about who we are, that is, about that real self, so that we can then, by faith, choose to believe who God says we are, and that, in turn, will spill over into our relationships naturally as we begin to feel and act like who we are. Others will begin to recognize The true person God has made us to be. So I'm giving you a little overview right now just to let you know where we're going. Now again, the only truth that we have to draw from is what Jesus said about this book, the Bible. He said, your word is truth. And the truth about who we are is what it takes to set us free. I'm reminded of an illustration that keeps coming back to my mind. I might as well share it with you, of a lady I knew back in Colorado one time that, that went to meet with her daughter and her teacher at school. And like you ladies are all familiar with, you like to look your best all the time. You like to um, be presentable and have the makeup on. Well, she too was concerned about that, but she was running a little late. And on her way to school, while driving in the car, she re- reached into her purse, and pulled out what she thought was lip gloss, a little tube of lip gloss. And she quickly, because her her lips were dry and cracked, and and she quickly uh, went over her lips with that lip gloss and put it back in her purse, without looking into the mirror, of course, because she's driving. And so when she gets to school, she walks into school, and she sees uh, the people are looking at her a little strange, but at first she thinks she's got a positive self-image, so she thinks that, well, they just think I'm looking pretty. That's why they're paying attention to me." And so she walks into the office and she asked where her daughter was and got the the instructions and so on. And she, thinking she's looking pretty, looking good, uh, goes on and talks to some teachers and so on and walks all the way down to her daughter's class and finally gets in the classroom with her daughter. Her daughter was horrified. Her daughter lost it all together because you see when she reached into her purse and took out that tube of of lip gloss it was not lip gloss but red lipstick. Now you ladies can imagine what that has done to her. She looked like a clown. She had put lipstick all over her lips up in her nose and all over on her chin and everywhere I mean she she actually looked like she was she was wearing some kind of a clown suit and nobody told her that. I mean everybody There, just kind of let her slide. They just didn't say a word. I No doubt they snickered a little afterwards, but nobody bothered to tell her what she really looked like until she got to her daughter's room. Of course, her daughter almost passed out because this was her mother that just showed up. And a mother dressed like that is bound to uh, cause a daughter some problem. Now, the point I'm getting to is this, that The way we see ourselves, the way we think about ourselves, sometimes is radically different from how other people see us, and sometimes they're too polite to tell us that difference. Sometimes they're uninvolved or uninterested, so they won't tell us that difference. But you see, the scriptures, according to James chapter 1, is like a mirror. And if you need to see yourself as you really are, you need to look into the Scriptures, into the mirror. It would be very useful if that lady, poor lady had had at least glanced into the rearview mirror before she got out of the car and went into school. Had she just seen for an instant what the mirror reflected back to her, her true image, she could have saved herself and her daughter some embarrassment. This is what we're trying to do in the Alpha Series. We're trying to look into the mirror. James tells us that the Word of God is a mirror, and it reflects accurately who we are. It reflects not only those good things that we consider to be appropriate for us, but it reflects also the bad things, and yes, a few ugly things as well. And we're going to be looking at that throughout our entire series to get the idea of what God says about the real persons we are. Now, in order for us to To get started on that this morning, I've I've already told you that we're going to be looking at uh, the Word of God here, and so let's start at the beginning, the first book in the Bible. Though it's not the oldest book, it is the first book in the Bible, and that book is Genesis. Genesis chapter 2, particularly, is what I want us to look at this morning. Before we get into Genesis chapter 2, one other comment concerning this question of who we are. The essential nature of identity, the essential nature of the fact of self-image and so on, has been demonstrated historically time and time again in the psychological literature to be the most single biggest factor. I put a lot of superlatives there because I'm trying to underscore this. The single biggest factor that determines our emotional state and our conduct. You see, a long time before what we say comes out, or what we do actually takes place, we're thinking in our minds about who we are. And one of the goals that we have all the way through this series is to try to uncover that thought process, to try to uncover what it is we're thinking in our hearts, what the Bible calls our heart, what psychologists would call the subconscious mind, what we're thinking in our heart that actually motivates us on a daily basis. I cannot underestimate the importance of this, and I would like for you, not just you, the studio audience here today, but uh, particularly those of you who are using these tapes as training tapes, I would like for you to begin even now, at this very first session, to begin to process in small group the question, who are you? How do you identify yourself? Because unless we come to grips with that basic thought structure or belief system on who we think we are. We cannot really address any permanent kinds or see any kind of permanent change in our behavior in our conduct. And so we want to I just want to encourage you to begin now to process in in your own minds, in your own heart, the question who are you? Now again we're going to give you an answer all the way through and let me just by way of introduction here this morning let me just give you this this one word of caution. Do not believe every word I say on its own merit. And and the reason I'm telling you this is because too many people today are basing their identity on what other people tell them they are. You see, my goal is not for you to pay attention to me and me to tell you who you are and then you to believe me just because I said who you were. My goal is to get you to hear God tell you who you are. In other words, the one that I want to answer this question, this very first question we've put on the board in your mind, is not me. I want you to hear God tell you who you are. This was so important in the life of Jesus, and we'll illustrate this time and time again, but you remember when he started his public ministry at his baptism in the Jordan River. There the Father in heaven broke all silence, and audibly stated publicly before all, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He, the Father, identified his Son Jesus publicly in Jesus' own hearing. Now, this is the critical thing that all of us need. Every one of us need to hear from the Father who he's made us to be. We need to hear that we are his child, his beloved child, that he loves us, and that he is well pleased in us. We need to be able to hear that. So that's my goal for you in this, in this whole series, is that you would be able to hear the Father speak to you personally and directly concerning who you are. Now, as we then go to the Scriptures, I want us to approach the Scriptures as a revelation from God the Father, concerning that very question. Who am I? What does God say about who we are? What does he tell us in his word? And the first place for us to begin is right here in Genesis chapter 2. I'm going to take one verse out of Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, and I'm going to break down our uh, identity, if you will, or this question of who are you according to three parts. Now, please, please, follow along with me, especially those of you who are on videotape following this, please understand that as I speak these terms, as I actually use these words, uh, these are terms that I have have defined for myself. So they are what I call operationally defined, that is for the purpose of this class, for the purpose of this series, we're going to define certain terms in this way. Now, that doesn't mean you can't define it in other ways, you can, but for the purposes of our series, we're going to use specific terms that I'm going to define throughout this series, and so uh, I want you to follow along with me as best you can with the terms that I use. The first thing we're going to encounter right here out of Genesis chapter 2 is that God made man... And he made him a three-part being with a body, soul, and spirit. Now, it can be argued theologically that man is only a two-part being. I'm not interested in those theological arguments. That's not the purpose of of our series. What I'm interested in is that we all understand what I mean when I say soul, for instance. Or we all understand what I'm talking about when I talk about our body. And so I'll just operationally define these terms. But let's look at Genesis chapter 2. We're looking now at what's called the specific creation account. Back in Genesis chapter 1, we have a creation account that's very general. In about verse 26 of the first chapter, God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And there's a lot that could be learned by that. But I want us to look at the specific account. After he'd gone, gone ahead and finished all this creation, God then uh, comes back and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he inspires the writer now to give us a little more detail on what he's already covered. And that little more detail is found right here in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Read along with me if you have your Bibles. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Now, every time I read this, I always think of you ladies, even though he's talking about God forming man. Because I always think that this is proof positive beyond a shadow of a doubt. You have biblical proof that man really is a dirt ball. Isn't that true? I mean, he took him out of the dust of the ground. He made him out of dirt, we could say. Well, actually, it's a little more refined than that. What he means by that is that he took the elements of the earth and he made what we call our body. Now, again, just like we've illustrated on the board this concept of ourselves needing to come together, I, I want also to illustrate the fact that we, as a three-part being, are always integrating. So I'm going to do another little diagram over here, and I'm going to label this first circle just the body. This is the physical component of man. When we think about who we are, we've got to think of ourselves in terms of a physical nature, a physical body, that we've been born into, we've been born with, and we grow up with. We identify ourselves according to that physical body as well. It's represented here in the scriptures by the fact that God took man out of the dust of the earth, and from the dust of the earth, or the elements of the world, he fashioned a body. Now, I'm not sure what kind of body that was, that Adam had. It's very similar, no doubt, to the type of bodies that we have today, but it's it's important that we understand that God made it perfectly. There was nothing wrong with Adam's body. When God made Adam a body, he made it complete and in a perfect way. Since the entrance of sin into this world and what's referred to as the fall of man, our bodies have been tainted with sin, and the wages of sin is death, and so our bodies today are, are, are somewhat different than they were in Adam's day. But Adam, you see, was still physical, even though it was a perfect physical being that God created. He was still physical in nature, and that's really what we're trying to get across here. Part of you is a physical being. A very important part of you is a physical being. But to that physical body, God, if you read it in, in chapter 2, verse 7, God breathed into that physical body the breath of life, or literally in the Hebrew, the breath of lives. Now, it's important that we understand that God wasn't giving Adam CPR here. Okay, He wasn't just breathing uh, in some air to get him cooking and get him up and running. He was doing something a little different than that. To this physical nature that Adam began as, this body, to this physical nature, God added a spirit or a spiritual component. To the physical part of us, God added a spiritual part. Now the way I get that is out of the term translated in English as breathe. When God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, Adam became a living soul. That term translated breathe comes from a Hebrew word, rush in the, in the Hebrew, which is elsewhere translated breath or spirit. In other words, anytime the Old Testament talks about spirit, it uses the same term, God breathed into uh, Adam's nostrils the breath of life. It's a spirit. In the Greek, in the New Testament, in the Greek, it's the word pneuma. And this Greek word also is translated either breath or spirit, depending on the context. And so what I really want you to see is that God added to this physical nature, this physical body, God added a spiritual component. And man, because of that addition, if you'll notice the overlap here, he says man became a living soul. I'll just label soul in the middle. Man became a living soul, so we have three parts here, body, soul, and spirit. Let's talk just for a moment about this component known as the soul. There are many fine people, theologians, and great thinkers and so on that equate spirit and soul, by the way, and uh, again, for purposes of our class, we're just going to separate it out. And I want to define the soul as that part of man which psychologists would roughly call our personality. I think you all realize that you're more than just a body. I think you all realize that you're more than just a physical structure, that there's a person actually living inside of this body. Even though we're very fond of our bodies, and we're very close to our bodies because we live inside of them, we ourselves are really the person that inhabits this body. In fact, the scripture refers to this body as a tabernacle or a tent, if you will, and elsewhere as a temple. Some of us work up to auditoriums, I think, after a while, but we, we have a physical body that's important, but it's not who we are, really. It's part of who we are. It expresses who we are, but our real persons inhabit or live within this temple, this body of ours. And that person we're going to identify as your soul. The soul is roughly equivalent to the personality of the individual. Now don't get confused on this personality business here. You know, when you're in high school and you talk about personality, you're usually talking about popularity. If we say that person has a lot of personality. We're thinking, well, they're, they're popular. People like them. And they're outgoing or whatever. Now personality is just the way you are as a person. Everybody's got a personality. Now you might have the personality of a warthog, but you've got a personality. Everybody does. And that's your person. That's your identity on a personal level. And this is important for us to keep in mind. Now, this personality that we have, represented by this concept of the soul, actually is interacting with that third component there I mentioned to you a moment ago, the spirit. The spirit is that part of man which God creates, that's an invisible part to the naked eye, it's, it's a part that we are uh, not generally well acquainted with because it's spiritual in nature and we're so physically oriented. But the spirit has been identified in the scriptures as a vital part of man that God gives to every human being. He gives them a spirit. Uh, at this point, let me just digress a moment and give you an example of what I'm talking about. I have a, a nephew who, before he was born actually suffered a stroke they think that destroyed uh, one side of his brain and though he was born physically and he was alive and so on he has had obvious problems of course he he cannot grow emotionally and relate and and communicate normally as the rest of us do even though he grows physically we've still not been able to talk with him his name is joey We've not been able to talk with him, we've not been able to carry on a conversation, he can't get up and dress himself and go to school and do all those kinds of things that uh, kids normally are able to do. He's physically alive, and I am convinced he's spiritually alive as well. Because you see, no matter what happens to the body, there's a spiritual component that separates out. And it interacts with the body, but it's different from the body. And that spiritual component can sometimes be discerned in in indirect ways. Uh, I've noticed that, I've not been around him for the last several years, but I've noticed that when you play with joy, he responds. And especially when his brothers and sisters play with him and his mom and dad play with him, he can respond to their presence. He can respond to them being there. And they know that he responds. And there is a spiritual communion that supersedes the physical damage that's been done there this is just a simple illustration I'm giving you to show you that you're more than just a a physical being. You're also a spiritual being. And I'm convinced according to John's gospel in John chapter 1, when Jesus, in reference to creating the entire world, said that he was the light of the world, and then he went on to say that he gives life to all things, he said a very beautiful little promise there that has always helped me with regards to Little Joy or other people that I've, I've dealt with. He says he lights every man that comes into the world. And what he means by that is he gives them the spirit. Every human being is born with a spirit that has the capacity to know God, that has the capacity to commune with God in the spiritual realm. This is illustrated elsewhere in Romans chapter 8, verse 16, for instance, when he says his spirit, meaning God's spirit, bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. God talks to us through our spirit, and we likewise can receive what he says to us by our spirit. So the spiritual part of man, of who you are, is very, very important, and we see it interacting here with the physical to produce a third part of man, which is the soul. Now, even though I can separate this out on on the board, even though I can, on the board, I can separate out and say uh, we have a body, soul, and spirit, and I can label them on the board there. Sometimes I can't spell them correctly on the board, but I can label them on the board um, as body, soul, and spirit. You can't separate these three components from any human being. You see, if we separated your body from your soul and spirit, actually did that, we call that death you die. You cannot be alive and functioning and not have these three interacting. And what's important for us to keep in mind concerning that is that the body, soul, and spirit interacts constantly so that there are always three sets of issues that we have to deal with concerning who we are every single day. We have physical things that we've got to concern ourselves with because we have a physical body. Part of us is physical in nature. Likewise, we have spiritual things that we've got to deal with every single day as well. Now, understandably, the physical has been so impressed upon us living in this physical world of ours that frequently we pay far more attention to the, the physical reality around us than we do the spiritual, but the scriptures are very clear that we live not only as spiritual beings, but we also live in a spiritual realm. And so we have spiritual issues that we've got to deal with on a daily basis. But perhaps the most important distinction to be made at this point is that we also have soul issues to deal with. We also have personal issues that have to be dealt with consistently on a daily basis. These soul issues, we're going to be expounding on in later studies, these soul issues have been typically overlooked even more so, if you can believe it, even more so than the spiritual issues in our lives. the reason I put this all on the board is to remind you that this is a constant dynamic interchange between the body, soul, and spirit. Now, in order to illustrate this in a very practical kind of way, let's, let's take a problem that we frequently encounter today in our culture, in our society, one that I've worked with for the last five years or so, and have off and on worked with over 20 years of pastoral counseling, and that is the problem of addiction. Let's take the typical problem of alcoholism in our, in our society. If we were to approach this particular problem, alcoholism or addiction, with just one means of addressing that problem, depending on the component that we are emphasizing, we're going to miss the whole picture. You see, what I'm trying to, trying to share with you is we need an integrated picture of how to deal with problems in our lives. For instance, Have you ever heard someone say, well, his problem is alcohol? Well, if that's his problem, that physical substance is fairly easy to get rid of, isn't it? You can just pour it down the drain. You can just not buy it. You can not have it around, not bring it in the house. And if you can get rid of the alcohol and you can get a man sober, so he's not drinking alcohol, then his problems are all over. No, his problems are not over. One third of his problems, you might be able to say, is over the physical component of his problems, the, fe- the fact that the body is being affected adversely by that addictive process, that might be over, but you see, he is not just a body. He also has a soul, and he's also a spirit, and these issues must likewise be addressed because they impact or are impacted by the other. Frequently, you'll see People deal with addictions of one sort or another by just mere abstinence. Say, okay, well, I'm not addicted to alcohol or drugs, but I'm addicted to food. How are you going to abstain from food? Huh? You can't abstain from food. I mean, you can cut down on the proportion, but you see, it wouldn't work for food disorders just to abstain from food. Uh, Likewise, there are many people that say, well, we need to get them out of their environment and get them in a special environment and remove them physically out of this situation and put them physically into this situation. And in certain situations, that can be helpful and useful, but it won't get the job done. is the point I'm making. We've got to learn to address ourselves as a whole person. We've got to learn to address others as a whole person. And just using this illustration of addiction, we've got to move beyond the physical components uh, of what it takes to detoxify a man, and move into the spiritual component as well. We've got to see alcoholism is not just a physical problem, but also a spiritual problem. By the way, codependency is not just a physical problem, it's also a spiritual problem as well. Any problem that we encounter, any kind of life-controlling issue or difficulty we encounter is going to have a spiritual component as well to it but it's not just a spiritual component remember we're interacting with all these so we're going to have a personal component as well we're going to see the personal impact uh, is going to have to be measured and dealt with so that all three of these areas have to be dealt with before we can actually say that we have helped a person or helped ourselves because we are more than just a body we are also a soul or a person and we are also a spirit, we're going to have to have more than just one particular kind of help when we recover. Now, let me just pause here and mention for a moment about the whole aspect of recovery. You hear a lot of uh, recovery terms today. It's becoming popular to be in recovery. Have you all noticed that? You notice how many books there are out on the subject? There are a lot of tapes. There are all kinds of things. And for sure, one of the goals that I have for this Alpha series is to help in that recovery movement, per se. And so let me just talk about recovery for a moment, and this is particularly um, pointed with regards to identifying who we are. It is absolutely impossible for us to recover from any kind of dysfunction without a proper knowledge, a biblical knowledge, of who we are. This is the importance of what it is we're trying to address in this Alpha Series. Let me give you some examples of this. In in order for us to deal with the whole aspect of recovery, we have to first of all start out with a recognition of who we are that's sometimes not a pretty picture. In fact, sometimes it's a very ugly picture. Remember going back to our first diagram here in terms of, of our self-image being different from other people's image. I can't tell you how many people that have life-controlling problems that I've talked to that think they don't have any problems. They think everything's fine. I'll just use myself as an example here. Recently I took a trip to Washington, D.C. and met with some Vietnam veteran ministers. Being a Vietnam veteran, I had always taken kind of a a side uh, interest in and those kinds of issues that Vietnam veterans deal with, um, but I, I always heard about these various kinds of disorders like post-traumatic stress syndrome, and I always thought, you know, that's, that's what causes a guy to go into McDonald's and kill everybody, you know, or that's what causes a guy to, to go quit one job after another, and that's what causes a guy to go through one marriage after another, and to get in all kinds of domestic violence situations. That's what causes a guy to do all kinds of crazy things, and since I had not, by God's grace, gotten into all uh, many of those crazy things, I can't say all of those crazy things, but by God's grace, I had not gotten into all those crazy things, I thought, I'm fine, I've got no problem here. As a matter of fact, when I went up last week to meet with these folks, I thought I was going to be up there, of course, to share the gospel with them and try to minister to them. You see, when I got up there and I began to look around, I discovered that other people saw something different than what I saw. Other people could see something different about me than what I could see. And as I began to see that not only did they see it, but what they saw was also real. Then I began to break through my own denial concerning issues that I had to deal with because of the Vietnam War. I began to break through my own 23 years of denial of certain issues. Now, in order to recover from any kind of thing, it doesn't matter what, what we're talking about, whether it's alcoholism, drug addiction, uh, whether it's the issues of, of sexual addiction or food addiction, whatever kinds of things that we're, we're struggling with. It doesn't even have to be addiction. You can be addicted to a person in the form of codependency. Uh, in order to recover, we have to first of all break through denial, which means we've got to see ourselves as we really are. We've got to see what's really happening. You see, it's so easy for us to cover up things in our lives. It's so easy for us to put a lid on things and pretend that there's nothing wrong with me. Pretend that I don't have a problem. I've, probably the hardest uh, step in any process of recovery is to say, I don't have a problem. Let me illustrate this with the church today. Being in the ministry for the last 20 years or so, I've dealt with a lot of church folks, and the one thing that breaks my heart more than anything else is to see people who think they've got it all together, but everybody else knows different. They think they've got it all together, they think they've, they've, they have no problems, they have no difficulty, they have no dysfunction in their life, and they are put on the act. And probably the one that hurts me the most is when I see pastors or leaders doing that sort of thing. Because, you see, I've been there. I've been in a place where I thought it was my job to be up front and be cool and not have any problems and not, not have any difficulties and to be, quote, perfect and be a good example and all that sort of thing. I thought for a long time being a good example meant you had no problems. That if you had problems in your life, or family problems or any kind of difficulties or emotional problems of some sort, that you weren't a good example. I said, that can't be a good example, so I'll just, I know how to get rid of that. I'll just deny whatever problems I've got. Okay, well, that doesn't make them go away. Denial of problems doesn't fix problems. And then it came to me, a very liberating thought came to me, that God knows I've got problems. He's known I've had problems all my life. He knows I've got problems now. And he knows what problems I'm going to have that I'm not yet aware that I'm going to experience. You see, God knows we have problems because he knows, really, who we are, and we'll see more about this as we get into our study, but because he knows that we have problems, he also loves me and accepts me where I am. He also loves and accepts me with the reality of his love, his unconditional love, which by virtue of the definition of unconditional love says, I can be loved by God in spite of the fact that I have problems. I don't have to clean up my life to get loved. I don't have to clean up my life to be accepted by him. I can be loved and accepted even though I have problems. And so when I began to break through my denial, I began to see that all of us have problems. It's not just the drug addicts off in a program somewhere or the alcoholics, it's folks on the street, it's folks at home, it's folks everywhere. Why do we have problems? Because we're in a human condition and the natural human condition is a problem. Now, when you look at the scriptures, you'll see what I'm talking about here when you understand that God has set for us His example. His example of who He wants us to be is Jesus Christ. He is the glory of God. Anything less than Jesus Christ is, by definition, dysfunctional. Everybody following me on that? Let me repeat this again because you have a tendency to let it slide. Anything less then Jesus Christ is dysfunctional. What does this mean? It means the whole world's dysfunctional, as far as God is concerned. You see, if the world wasn't dysfunctional, he'd never have to send his son Jesus to do something about it. So the whole world is dysfunctional. The whole world, by nature, is in need of recovery. It is the privilege of the church today to be used of God To minister that recovery to the world. Did you all realize that? That's a privileged position because you see that's what Jesus came to do, didn't he? He came to seek and to save that which was lost, that which was in need of recovery. And so when I talk about recovery kinds of issues, when we use this throughout our series, I'm not just talking about if if you have to because your denial mechanism is so strong. If you have to think about other people, you can. I'll, I'll, I'll allow that. All right? If you have to project out on other people, you can. But really, if you're going to receive something out of this series, you're going to have to start looking at yourself. You're going to have to start looking at your own issues. You're going to have to start looking at who you are, who God has made you to be, not just from a physical side, but also from the personal and the spiritual side as well. Now, there's one other factor that I want to address here, very quickly before we uh, run out of time in this session. I want you to see that there's a little more complicating uh, issues here determining who we are out of this diagram of the body, soul, and spirit. I want you to also be able to see that we live simultaneously in two worlds at the same time. So I'm just going to draw a little line down through the middle and label this one side over here next to the body as the physical. This is the physical realm that we live in. And likewise, we not only live in this realm that we can see and touch and taste and hear and smell and so on with our physical senses, but we also live in a spiritual realm as well. This spiritual realm that we live in is perhaps more real, believe it or not, this spiritual realm is perhaps more real than the physical realm. And the reason I say that is because God, who is a spirit, was here before the physical realm. So there was a spiritual realm before the physical realm. He created the physical realm. He mediates the physical realm. He'll alter the physical realm as he will, but he himself, being a spirit, continues. Now a lot of people have trouble with the spiritual realm. Let me just comment on this real quickly. The spiritual realm is hard for us to lay hold of because we can't see it with physical eyes. We can't hear it with physical ears. We can't touch it with our physical hands. Nonetheless, it is true and it is real and we live in it. And within both of these realms, both the physical and the spiritual realm, there are factors that determine who we are, that make up historically who we've come to be. And I want to just identify those factors very quickly for you. First of all, there's the factor from the physical side of heredity or environment. If you go back to ask who are you and why are you this way, then a lot of the answer to that question is going to come from your environment, or from your heredity, rather. It's going to, I'm the way I am because my parents are the way they were, and they gave to me much of what I—what goes in to make me who I am. There's a lot of genetic research that goes into this. There's a lot of uh hereditary types of studies and so on. I'm not going to get into all the depths of that, but let's just recognize that one of the things that determines who we are is our genes. The fact that we are genetically shaped and molded to be who we are. Now, obviously, uh, no one chooses those, those genetic, that genetic structure we, we inherited. Uh, we didn't have any choice in that. I was born the way I was born. However, that's not the only factor on the on the physical side that determines who we are. There's also a factor of environment. Environment just simply means you are shaped and molded by the things around you, by the family system you grew up in, for instance, by the style of communication within that family system that you grew up in. You're shaped and molded by experiences of the culture that you were raised up in. All of this goes together to make up who you are. Uh, you all realize that had you been born over in, in uh, overseas somewhere uh, over in Russia, you'd be completely different than how you are now. Your, your language would be different. Your education would probably be different. There'd be a lot of things different about who you are just because you were born elsewhere. So these environmental factors also shape us. But those are just on the physical side. Let's swap over now to the spiritual side. Likewise, there's some factors on the spiritual side to shape and make up who we are. The first of those factors I'm going to list out is just simply God, who is a spirit. God makes up who you are. He determines, according to the scripture, from before the foundation of the world who you're going to be. Many of our problems stem from the fact that we're mad at God for making us the way we are. A lot of the problems we encounter come back to this basic thing that intuitively we know that he could have made us different, but he didn't. And so we're going to be dealing with God's making us who we are. But likewise there's a spiritual, another spiritual factor that determines who we are as well. And that is Satan and his forces, the evil, the dark side. Now I mentioned them with God not to in any way suggest that God and Satan are co-equal in their influence on us. I don't want you to even begin to think that way, because God, you see, created Satan, not in his present evil form, but in a pure form, as an angelic being, God created him. So there's no way that Satan can be equally as important as God in influencing our lives. However, we do need to recognize, because the scriptures recognize his influence in our life. Now, when you put all these factors together, you put it on one side over here on the physical realm, you put the fact that you have hereditary influences and environmental influences, and then you add to that in the spiritual realm the fact of God and his word and his spirit and his power influencing us through the spirit, and also Satan and his forces influencing us. You can see the question, who are you, gets real complex real quick, doesn't it? And what I want to leave you with in this session is the fact that this question, even though it's simple, is a very profound question, and one that we're going to be studying over the next several uh, lessons in this series, to come to grips with not only who we are, but also how problems develop. We're going to be trying to come to grips with not only who we are, but how we relate to other people as well. And the place to start with that is going to be right here with a basic biblical understanding of who God has made us to be and what he has made us to be. Now there are many illustrations of this in the scripture and one I want to leave you with is this, that when God created Adam, right here in Genesis chapter two, remember he created him a body, soul, and spirit. And he was an integrated person that was perfect. But something happened to Adam in the garden. You recall he created woman, and and we'll study a little bit about that later, and he brought the two of them together, and then he gave them a command. He says, I don't want you to eat this fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was right here in the middle of the garden. I don't want you to eat that. If you eat it, you're going to die, and you all know the story that they did, in fact, eat the fruit, and they did, in fact, die. The problem, the basic problem with who we are today is that ever since Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, death was passed on to every generation since then. The problem of who we are is the fact that we are dead indeed in sins and trespasses. And that death comes out in many forms, socially, relationally, personally, and spiritually. So to understand the importance of the Gospel of Jesus Christ in addressing this issue, who we are. We've got to understand that we are natural descendants of Adam that are in need of deliverance, that are in need of recovery, that are in need of the Gospel. The good news is, God gives us that very thing that we need. Thank you.
0: Thank you again for listening. If you want more access to Alpha Ministries teaching, you can like us on Facebook subscribe to our YouTube channel and visit our website. All times and dates for services and other events are on our website listed in the show notes.